by the way, the first reading of Scripture fit really well too, brothers. <laughs> All right. I want to eventually end up in Matthew 28. Uh, but first, let's turn to Acts 11. Do you all remember your word from last week? Because I want to give you a new one. But who remembers a word from last week? We're learning a little bit of Greek. You remember the translation, right? <laughs> you know how to translate it if you ever see it. Uh, ou angel, which means? What does it mean? The good news, ooh, angel, which is just the word angel, right? Good angel, good message, good, good news. If you want to make it a noun, you add a noun ending in Greek, ooh, angel, eon. Want to make it a verb, I preach the gospel, ooh, angel, ezo. So just a little bit, little bit of fun there. I want to teach you one other word, though, an important Greek word. Are you all ready? Y'all got some pens? I'm going to write this down. All right, I'm going to spell it for you first, and then I'm going to pronounce it. Just write K-U-R-I-O-S. K-U-R-I-O-S. The word is kurios. Anybody have an idea what that means? It's an important word. It means Lord. I want to talk about Lordship today. Christ is Lord. Or as the early, we looked at a couple things last week, uh, the... Uh, that early Christian hymn that was found in Philippians chapter 2, what was the confession of it? The Carmen Christi, what was the confession? Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. Kurios Christos. Christ is Lord. And that's the confession of the Christian. The confession of the Christian is that Christ is kurios. He's Lord. In fact, if you were ever to lead someone to salvation, or I don't necessarily agree with that terminology, but if you were ever to show someone how they can be saved, where would you go? You would go to like something to like Romans chapter 10. Paul says, I'm sharing with you the word of faith that I have shared with you before. That if you shall confess with your mouth, what? Christ is Lord. That he's kurios. So this is the confession of the Christian. It always has. And if you believe in your heart that Christ is raised from the dead and you confess that he is your Lord, the promise of Romans 10.9 is you will be saved. So this is the grand confession. And Curios has some apologetical value. I have studied apologetics extensively in the last, well, since I've been a Christian, I guess. 
uh, ever since my dad gave me a copy of, uh, of uh, Francis Schaeffer's How Then Shall We Live. Curios has some apologetical value. That's defending the Christian faith. If you, if you were ever to have a copy of the Greek Septuagint, that is the Old Testament that was written in Greek around, and that was used by the apostles and by Christ, uh, most likely. You would find that the Old Testament would take the name Yahweh, that's the name for God, and they would use instead the word kurios in many different places. And those are the same things that answers to Christ. In fact, that, uh, that, that, that Carmen Christi uh, declaration was that every tongue, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord was about Yahweh. And in the New Testament, it's about Christ. So we learn apologetically that that word tells us about the divinity of Christ. Christ is God. Christ is the creator of all things. Christ is the Lord God of the New Testament. I mean of the Old Testament. But here it has practical value. And we started to touch on this a little bit on last Sunday night. And we're going to get back to the text in Matthew 28 shortly. But it has practical value because it tells us what Christ's relationship is to us directly. He's our Lord. And before we go back to Matthew 28, um, where we were at last Sunday night, we saw there that He has all authority, right? In heaven and on earth, He has all authority. And that's what He is to us as Lord. And if He is Lord, we are His subjects. If he is Lord, we are his disciples. That's the practical implication of this. The practical implications of the gospel itself was that he was the object of worship, he is the object of our worship, and he is our commander-in-chief in all things. And when we go forth, we go forth Proclaiming his lordship over all. Now, with that being said, I can't read my own writing. I need to get my eyes checked. Let's. I want to read a text here in Acts 11, in verse 26. You all have heard this one before, but I want you to think about something for a second. Acts 11.26 says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. That is, Barnabas, he went and looked for Saul, and he brings Saul to Antioch where Barnabas was ministering in the church there. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first, at Antioch. Now, why am I parking here for a second? 
All right, they were first called Christians. They were called Christians, of course, by their enemies. It was a way of sectizing uh, the Christian faith. They said, look at those people. They're followers of, they're followers of that Christ. They're, they're, they're imitators of Christ. But what were they called before? It's right there in a the text. What were they called before then? Disciples, right? <laughs> In fact, in the New Testament, you're going to find the church continuing to be called disciples more than they're called Christians. In fact, to be a Christian means to be a disciple. And that's so throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Paul brought, before he was saved, he wreaked havoc and was persecuting the disciples in Acts 9.1. I can't get the <laughs> words out. And when Paul was traveling, he went and found disciples in this city and disciples in that city. Christians are disciples. And that's, uh, that, that, I, I feel today we allow a Christian moniker to be placed on about everything. <laughs> We slap a Christian label on it, and it's, it's okay. But the meaning here is that we are subject to Him. And I wish I could read my writing. I, I, I even recopied this this morning, hoping I would be able to read clearer writing, and it's not helping. So in, an, in a sense, I want, to, want us to want to challenge you with this definition this morning, that we are not without commandments in our life. There are those that are that that are antinomium. They they they, they don't believe that uh, that that there is anything that of substance that is demanded of in our lives at all. And to be a Christian is to be free from the law in that sense. Um, and not in the sense that the apostles taught. And we can get caught into this uh, individualism that we are our own and we are master of our own fate, captain of our own soul, but that is not Christian philosophy at all. We are under the law to Christ, as Paul would later expound to the Corinthians. In other words, there is a Lord disciple relationship for the church. And, our, and the young man that did the reading this morning was highlighting that very fact. There is a Lord discipleship relationship to the church. We are disciples. And what does that mean? What does that mean to be a disciple? Well, we're exactly what the disciples were in the New Testament. And it has implications. Mark 8 said, uh, tells us that uh, uh, Jesus Christ speaking, it says, uh, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple, right? In other words, our whole lives are given over to him. Now, I want to ask you just to examine yourself today as we speak about this matter. Does this describe you? 
or is it just a moniker you wrote? I'm I'm a Christian, but it has nothing to do. We're I'm going to get into this in a second, and I want to get ahead. Don't want to get ahead of myself, but it has nothing to do with what I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Turn, if you will, before we go to our text in Matthew, to Luke 14. Can I share something uncomfortable with you? I'm going to be uncomfortable reading it, and you will probably be uncomfortable hearing it. See, there's you'll run into all kinds of doctrine and really... I want, there's uh, this, this hyper-dispensationalism that says the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have nothing to do with us. But they have everything to do with us if we're also called disciples. We can't dispensationalize this thing away and say, well, that was for them, and we have something else that's for us, and it's something much different. We're called to be no different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or... We're no, or Peter, Paul, and any of the rest of them. A disciple, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner. The word comes from just the word mental, but it was one who would learn at the feet of someone else. Not just doctrine, but lifestyle. They were imitators, hence they called them later Christians. Moses would have this differentiation, not just the head, but the hands. We have this euphemisms that we use where you need to give your heart to Christ. No, you need to give everything to Christ, right? The head and the hands. They are followers and ones that are able to be sent. They are learners before they are speakers. They are seekers and questioners and absolutely dependent upon their Lord for what they believe, speak, and do. That's a disciple. Now, this is some controversial scripture here, and like I said, I'm just as uncomfortable reading it as you are hearing it. But listen to what Christ says in Luke 14, 26. I'm going to have to get my eyes checked. Everything's fuzzy. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life also, what does those last few words say? Cannot be my disciple. That's hard, ain't it? Are you just are you just as uncomfortable? bothered by this as me? I want to give a sense to it in a second, but keep reading. Verse 22, 27. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's a cross? It's not a piece of jewelry hanging around your neck, right? <laughs> What is it? You know, the Romans wouldn't even speak about it in normal conversation. It was so hideous. It wasn't even for Roman citizens. 
because it was beneath them to ever die in such a manner. What's a cross? It's a place you go to suffer and die. He says, take, you got to take up yours and you got to follow me. It's uncomfortable, ain't it? Let's skip on down to verse 33. So likewise, after he talks about counting the cost, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jason Tackett, the man, this flesh and blood person standing in front of you, that's a, I don't like reading one word of that. <laughs> it rubs against me. But it tells us a little something about what it means to be a disciple. Now, I just realize I say the word now a lot. I think the question we should be asking ourselves as we read this, is there a limit to your loyalty to Christ? How far are you willing to go in this whole Christian thing? Now obviously Christ is not saying here that you should abandon the commandments that He has given you and stop honoring your father and mother and stop loving your wives and nurturing your children. There's nothing Christ is saying that is, that is contrary to the rest of the Scriptures here. What does He mean though? He means that sometimes human relationships can be barriers to you following Christ. And if they are, what are you supposed to do? Follow Christ, which means you have to forsake those. Sometimes your own comfort and desire for life and desire for good things in life which aren't bad. I, I like comforts, don't you? Everybody's got a lazy boy at home, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes those can be barriers to following Christ. If so, what are we supposed to do? Forsake those and follow Him. And there's no limit to it here in verse 33. Forsakes not all. That's exactly what happened when he called the very first disciples there where they were sitting in the boat making their living. He comes up to them and says, follow me. They dropped all, followed him. And didn't stop. I know that this seems... Like otherworldly, <laughs> or are not, not other like 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 there's just status here for Christians that are willing to do this stuff, and then there's the rest of us, uh, you know. The, there's the saints, and then there's the rest of us. But this is what everyone who calls himself a disciple is 
is supposed to be. And it's hard. It's hard to think in those terms, but there's people today that are having to do it. If you want to become a Christian in Saudi Arabia, what do you think you need to do? You need to forsake all. And there are those that are doing it. They're naming the name of Christ, and in doing so, they lose their families. There are Christians in China right now that are making these very decisions. And it doesn't seem real to us because, well, I mean, we worship here in the open. When they become a Christian, they have to forsake a lot of things to follow Christ. There are Christians right now in Africa that do follow him right to death. Right? And the time will come that it may be here too. Is there a limit to how far you're willing to follow Christ? Now, let's go to our text. That was the introduction. I thought I had a part. Matthew 28. I'm not going to be but a few minutes here. But I hope we have defined what it means to be a disciple. The gospel has implications. We talked about that. We talked about what the gospel is. You're a sinner. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. Buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And was seen. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what saves you. The gospel though has implications. And I'm not going to re-preach what we did Sunday night, but they came and worshipped him. He becomes the object of our worship. He was declared to be the Son of God with power, Romans 1.4. And in Jesus Christ addressing the subject of worship in verse 18 of Matthew 28, he says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. So he is the absolute authority over all things. And then we have the great commission, go ye therefore... Why do we go forward? That word therefore is the conclusion of an argument. The entirety of the Great Commission is the conclusion of the fact that Christ is to be worshipped and he is Lord over everything. And therefore we go. And we do what? We teach all nations. We make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. We ask them to identify fully with Christ baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then the text I want to deal with, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The church is a body of disciples that are under lordship. That's the implication of the Great Commission. We are going out, we are preaching the gospel, we are making disciples and nations, we are bringing them in, 
and teaching them, discipling them. Discipling them how? With whatever Christ has commanded. The church is a body under lordship. Ephesians 1, we read that last week, I think, at some point in time. Ephesians 1, he is made to be head over all things to the church. We have a head. We have a commander. We have a lord. And he commands everything in our lives. And we should, by our confession, be willing to be shaped. I want to give you just four quick points, and then I'm going to sit down, and uh, hopefully you all won't run me out of here on, on a rail. All right. Is everybody still with me? I mean, yeah, the discipleship stuff was pretty heavy, I know. But No, the first thing we have here is, you know, you and I have his commands. The church has promised here that they will have the commands of Christ. Where do we have those commands? Okay, right here, right? We have it. We have the very commands. We have the very words of Christ. So we are not left without a witness if you, if in Muslim countries they still, according to the teachings of Muhammad, call Christians people of the book, and that's something I'd be proud to be called, up someone of the book. But we do have the Word of God. We 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 have a source by which we can still hear Christ speaking. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So the church has promised here that they will not be left without the voice of Christ. And we have that. We have, according to 1 John chapter 5, the witness that God has given us of His Son. So we have a source. We have a source by which we can know what Christ said and how Christ is instructing us. And I hope that that is central to your lives. But it is something that we possess. It's not something that was lost. We're not looking for the historical Jesus still. We have the historical Jesus right here in the pages of this book. We are not left without a witness. We are still disciples who are still able to sit at His feet and we are still able to learn and know what His will is for us. And his will isn't some floating in the ether somewhere. Like I can just weirdly wish I could figure out what his will is. But we have his will expressed. His will is found in his word. Jesus Christ sat in the upper room with his disciples and he broke the bread for his last time and he said, this is my body and gave him the cup and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And he continued to preach on there in the upper room and he told them, he says, the comforter is coming, 
And he is going to bring to remembrance the things I have said to you. And he's going to testify of me. Where do we find that here? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He met Paul on the road to Emmaus. He, not the road to Emmaus, but the road to Damascus. And he spoke to Paul, revealed himself to him. We have that witness. Or as we said last week, we have the witness of those that actually did sit at his feet. We have apostolic authority, and it's not in Rome or Salt Lake City. It's in the pages of this book. We have a source. You are able on a daily basis to sit at the feet of your Lord and learn from Him. You are able to hear what the Spirit speaks. And God is still speaking here. Uh, I know there's, there's, a, there's a trend, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to bash anybody or anything. Don't, don't get me wrong, but the, uh, of people talking about this, 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 this thing out here that they call an anointing. And usually that translates to them saying, the Lord gave a word to me for you but they never exegete a text. They never go to this and break it down and say this is what it says and this is what it means. It's some subjective thing. It's, a, it, it, it's, some, it, it's some thing fuzzy and, and, and just based upon feelings and everything else like that, but we have something greater. We have the very things Christ said And we possess it, it sits in our lap, but hopefully it's not collecting dust on ourselves, but it's there. And we can commune with Him, you know, behind every text is Christ. It's something more we can learn of Him and from Him and something more that we can take upon ourselves and direct our lives. So the first thing we learn as we're looking at this text is we have His very words. We have what He taught. We have His doctrine. It's not lost. It's right here. And the, and the exhortation is still there. He that has a hear, ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. <clears throat> Secondly, I learned by reading here, and I hope that we all learn by reading here in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, is that these things are not just intended to be believed, but practiced. Some of you young ones and some of, uh, some of us uh, around my age probably or younger will, who have sit in college classrooms or, any, or been part of any kind of college scene understand that there is uh, this phrase that everybody loves using. It's, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What do people mean when they mean that? Well, they mean that they have these fuzzy little feelings 
and they like enjoy those feelings when they think about these spiritual things, but it really has absolutely no form to it, and it has absolutely nothing to do with how they behave. That's all it means. I like, I, they would just like throwing that term around. I am spiritual. As like I was saying earlier, people, we, we have that same phraseology that has crept into this church, uh, not this church, but churches. Give your heart to Jesus as if it has nothing to do with anything else. James warned us in James 1. It says, be you not hearers of the word only, but doers. He's saying the same thing Christ said right here. Teaching them to observe all things. Sometimes we'll even skip that sometimes when we're, when we're reading over this. Teach, we, would, we would read it, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded. Okay, we, we got to, no, teaching them to do, to observe, to keep, to take in possession, to make it one's own, and to live it out. Christ said this, Why do you say unto me, Lord, Lord, Luke 6, 46, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, why are you making the confession that I am your Lord and do not do the things that I say? His words aren't just simply something that lays out there and that makes us feel good, but there's something to be done. To be practiced. All right, no one's got started throwing things, so I want to go on to the next. They extend without limit, open-endedly over all of our lives. Read it again. Teaching them to observe how much of it? All of it. Teaching them to observe all things, and then what's that next word? Whatsoever. I have commanded anything whatsoever. Uh, we, we, we're, we're not just proof text Christians. They, they are here. We, I have this text, so I, I, I'll obey this, but I don't like that, and I'm going to leave that. He says, all things whatsoever. So encompassing our entire life. You know, Christ, your relationship with Christ should shape everything about you. You. Does that make sense? There is this evil ideology that has crept in that, and it's not just something new, it's been going on for quite a while, that there is this difference between the sacred and the secular. And the sacred fits right here in this little period of time between 11 and 12 on Sunday, I'm here, I sung the songs, it made me feel good, 
Uh, I listened to a I listened to a message. I shook hands. I did this, and but it really has nothing to do. That's the sacred part of my life, and then. On when I go home, that's a secular part of my life. Or when I go to work, that's a secular. That's just uh, I, I'm. That's not what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple. To be a disciple means I am a Christian here between eleven and twelve. I'm also a Christian when I leave this these doors and go into my home. I'm a Christian father. I'm a Christian husband but I'm then a Christian when I go into my work. And I have to glorify him there too. I'm a Christian when I'm out with my friends. I have to glorify him there too. I'm a Christian in my extracurricular activities. I'm a Christian everywhere. I'm a Christian in the way I talk. I'm a Christian in the way I walk. I'm a Christian in all things. You all know 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We cannot make divisions and say, well, this is where Christ fits in my life right here. No, it's all Christ. Every bit of it. I wanted to get into Romans 14, but I see I got two minutes left. So I'll stop. And I'll give the last point. We cannot divorce the first part of this verse with the very last few words. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, look, behold, I am with you always. Why is it important? Because he's always here. He's just as close to us as... He was to Peter and James and John 2,000 years ago as they first sat at his feet. He's just as close for our help. He's just as close for our instruction. He's just as close for us to worship him both in church and at home and at work. He's just as close as he always was. And as such, he's there as our Lord to evaluate all things, to judge all things, to be honored and glorified in all things. And he adds, Amen. I hope you receive something from the Word of God today.